All right, Psalm 84, did we find it? We did, okay. Verse 1, how lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Just have a look at those words. This is written by somebody who has an incredible revelation of God and of God's house. It's like two ways of saying the same thing in the second verse there. My soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. When's the last time you were like almost fainting just because you were so desperate to get to church? That is next level hunger for the presence of God. It's like, man, I am so desperate to get me into church. I just have to get to, I just can't wait. And sometimes there's been times like that, right? Especially when you first get saved. And it's like, man, this is just changing my life. This is powerful. I can't wait. But has anyone ever gone off the boil over time? It's, it happens, right? All right, tonight, remember that first love. Remember, the, I think that's in the Bible somewhere, isn't it? The first love. Don't forget your first love. Remember the first love. You know, I've, growing up in church, in a Christian family, I'm so blessed that my parents had a conviction that we're going to church every Sunday. That's just the way I was brought up. Even when I was a teenager and all my friends were teenagers and, and their parents were kind of saying to them, oh, you don't have to go to church anymore if you don't want to. My parents were like, my dad's like, you live under our roof? We're going to church. Feel free to move out and live in the street, but if you live, want to live with us, you're coming to church. I don't know. I, I haven't had to try that with my teenagers yet, but we'll see. Hold that one up my sleeve. I'm not sure how legal that is these days, but anyway, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. But I was so blessed to be in church every week, and I actually, to be fair, I never really wanted to not go. I, I, I love church. I, I was happy to be the only one there when my mates, none of them were there. And I just loved being in, in church. I loved hearing the words spoken. I loved the songs. I loved the whole thing. And, and when I was 21 years old, after I, and I, as Pastor John said, I grew up in Ballina, just a few hours south of here, and uh, went to school there, and then went to university in Lismore. And I did a sports science degree, but I knew I kind of didn't want to necessarily work in that straight away. And my youth pastor said to me, he said, you need to travel. You need to get out of this small town and, and go and go and see what God's doing in the world. And so I, I bought a one-way ticket to London and I went for two years and, and traveled Europe and explored. And, but I went with a heart to actually, okay, God, what have you got for my life? What do you want me to do with my life? And so I went and I went and I went to all the famous churches, looked up like, you know, people like Charles Spurgeon and Smith Wigglesworth and all that, and I just, I just turn up, I like catch buses and uh, it's cra some crazy stuff going on because I was just so naive and, and just, I just went and I'd turn up to all these churches, I remember going to the Alpha Church, you know, Holy Trinity Brompton, just turn up there and, and anyway, so before I left, I had a, a dream, like in the week before I left Australia and in this dream, and it woke me up, and I knew it was a God dream. 
it wasn't just one of those dreams you have, you know, when you have too much pizza or anything like that. This was a God dream. And so I woke up in the, and the dream went like this. I was, I was walking through a, a desert and it was just sand, just like the Sahara, right? I'm just walking through the desert. And all of a sudden in the, behind me, I can hear the rotors of a helicopter. I can't do a helicopter sound. I probably should have practiced that. I'll do that. Because you should be able to with a microphone. It would sound really cool. But anyway, forget that. There was a helicopter in the dream, right? And it sounded so epic. sounded so cool. So, and I turned around. And then all of a sudden, I realized that's a Black Hawk helicopter. Some of you know what that is, right? That's a war one. And this thing's got guns. And I, then all of a sudden, I realized this thing's coming after me. And it starts shooting. And I start running, and it's like, like the movies, you know, and the, the sand, the bullets in the sand, I'm just running. And I look up, and then I can see this big tower, like a concrete brick tower. And honestly, if I can just get to that tower, I'll be all right. And I ran, and I just made it, and I went behind the tower. And then what happened in my dream was the helicopter crashed into the tower. This was 1998, pre-9-11 and Twin Towers and all that sort of stuff. This helicopter flew straight into it and just blew up, and the tower just stood strong. And I woke up, and I had the dream, and I had the interpretation in a moment. When I land on the other side of the world, I need to find a church straight away. I need to be in church every Sunday, because I knew that if I'm off on the other side of the world, all by myself, I'm going to be incredibly vulnerable. And the devil's coming after me, and the devil's going to try and take me out. And so I had a conviction that no matter what country I was in, no matter where I was, I was going to find a church every Sunday. And so I want to tell any young people, if you're going traveling or whatever, make a decision wherever you're going. Not just when you're traveling. You know, this is actually a great decision to, to make for your life. Be in church every Sunday. Just be in church. Just make a decision. You don't have to wake up on Sunday morning and go, oh, will I go to church today or not? No, you, just, you made a decision a long time ago at Sunday, I'm going to church. How freeing is that? That's one less decision you have to make every Sunday for the rest of your life. You just make that decision now, I'm going to be in church at Sunday. It's what we do. So, I went over there and I decided that the grandmother I talked about who got saved in the Billy Graham, that her side of the family, my mum's side of the family, they uh, came from Ireland originally. And so I did a few jobs in, in London, made, got a little bit of money, but I really wanted to go to Ireland and, and see where that side of the family came from. And, and so me and a friend, we um, caught the ferry over from, from England to Ireland, and it was a three-day return ticket. And I thought, I'm just going to do a whirlwind, just go down to County Cork, where my grandpa was from, and, and then come back and then go back to London. Bought a three-day ticket. My mate... Who was, a, who was a friend from Ballina, who we'd kind of gone together. On the ferry, he started chatting up a girl, and she was going to Northern Ireland, and all of a sudden, he's reneged on our whole trip, and he's like, you know what, I'm actually going to go to Northern Ireland on this bus tour, and I'm like, oh, okay, well, and I'm, okay, I'm going to Southern Ireland. We actually had a tent that we were going to camp in, and just for the, for the few nights, because we didn't have any money, and so I said, well, I need the tent. So I took the tent, and so I literally... Um, went, to, went to Ireland and I started just walking down the street until I got out of town, out of Dublin, found a paddock, 
through the 10 over, and that's how I, that's how I slept for a couple of nights. Went down, found, found the place where, where I was. But then what happened, it actually wasn't a three-day ticket. I just remember it was a seven-day ticket. It was a seven-day ticket. That's important to clarify and correct that. It was a long time ago. My, my memory gets a bit hazy. It was a seven-day ticket. So what happened was we decided he was going to Northern Ireland, and it finished. So Ireland, if you picture it like a football, right? Dublin's on the east coast. There's this, on the other side, there's a place called Galway. And so his tour was going up and down and finishing at Galway. I was going down, and I said, oh, I'll just finish at Galway in a week and meet you there, and then we'll go back to England together. And so that was our plan. And so we asked somebody, because this is before phones and emails and messenger and GPS and all of that. I know, there was a world like that. And... And I said to somebody, do you know Galway? Oh, a little bit. I said, where would I meet my mate next week if we needed to meet each other? I said, there's an arch in the main park. And I said, okay, let's meet there at midday. All right, locked it in. He went his way, I went my way. And so I, I spent the week hitchhiking, putting the tent up, packing the tent down, going all the way around to, to Galway. And on, I got in on Friday night and we're meeting at Saturday lunchtime. And so I, sorry, I got in on Saturday night. We're meeting on Sunday at lunchtime. This is an important part of the story. Saturday night, it'll make sense why in a minute. Saturday night, I get in late. I come in, Galway's a city, so I can't just put, pitch up my tent, you know, in the city. And so I go to the backpackers and I say, oh, just a room for the night. And they're like, uh, there's no, nowhere you can sleep here tonight. We've got the such and such festival on. I'm like, oh, okay, where's another backpackers? They're like, you ain't going to get a bed anywhere tonight. It's not going to happen. I was like, oh, okay. Everywhere's sold out. It's been booked out months in advance, some big festival. I'm like, oh, right. So I started walking out of the town, looking for somewhere I could throw my tent and, and sleep. And so I got to the Greyhound Racing Stadium as I'm heading out of town. And it's got the big gates. And... It seemed like it was abandoned, but there was a couple of lights on and the gate was open. I'm just like, okay. So I just snuck in and I went and slept in the grandstand. And so I woke up, middle of summer, in Ireland, the sun rises at 3 a.m. So it was a late night, an early start, and I start walking back into town. I get back into town around 5 a.m. and I go to the park and I'm like, okay, I've got seven hours. What am I going to do? And so... I sit there in the park, and there's a group of homeless guys who've just been drinking all night. And so I just walked over and said g'day, and they thought it was great having an Australian turn up. And we started talking, and, and then there was a McDonald's restaurant that opened at 6 o'clock, and I said to one of the guys, I'll go and buy you breakfast. Let's have some breakfast. And as I started talking to him, God started doing something. And... What happened was his, this guy's brother was a famous preacher in London, famous pastor of a big church. And this was his homeless alcoholic brother. And I started just sharing my story with him and things like that. And we both realised that this was such a God thing. And this guy's been running from God for a long time. He's breaking down, weeping. We pray the sinner's prayer in McDonald's. And... It was awesome. And then we're like, okay, now what do we do? I've still got till 12 o'clock. I said, do you know any churches? It was Sunday morning. And so, do you know any churches? And he said, oh, there's a new church, yeah, that's just started 
um, over in such and such. He said, I'll take you there, we'll go. And so we walked up to this church, they had like a 9.30 service, and we start walking towards the front entry. And when we get within sight of the welcome team, their jaws drop, their eyes pop out of their head, they run, and then more people come, and they all run out and they greet him, and they're like, what are you doing here? And then we, the story came out that I just led him to Jesus in the McDonald's, and then all of a sudden I'm like the most popular person in Ireland, <laughs> because I didn't know this part of the story, they'd been praying for this guy, because of who he was and who his brother was. And they'd been ministering to him and feeding him and seeing him and trying for years, like relentless, these people knew him. And all of a sudden, some backpacker from Australia just comes in and, 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 and harvests the, the fruit. And I realised then that I was part of something that was going on so much longer that I could take no credit for that was such a, a God thing. Anyway, my mate, I met with him later that day and I said to him, you know what, I'm going to cancel my ticket, I'm going to stay here a bit longer because this church, they've just embraced me, they've offered me a place to stay, <laughs> they've offered me a job and because um, they were like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, nothing really, where are you staying? Oh, nowhere. They're like, the pastor of the church is pretty quick because they were doing it, they just bought a new building and they were renovating it and, he's, and it was university holidays, he said all the, all the university students will be here all week just renovating and painting and do you want to come and join them and we'll put you up with one of the families of the church, which I got to eat potatoes every day, it was awesome. And free board and we'll pay you a little bit of money. I'm like, hell yeah. For a backpacker, that's a great, great deal. And so anyway, the week came and went, my mate went back to, to England. I stayed in Ireland and I worked in this church for that whole week. All the university students went back, I kept working there. I stayed for three months in Ireland and I was part of this church and, and I was doing plastering and painting and whatever else needed, some tiling and one day I was there by myself and I was doing tiling in the toilet block and so I was putting some tiles down and I have worship music playing and this song came on, I tried a new CD and it was like there's a song out of Psalm 84, the psalm that we just started with. And the words to the song were, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. And I decided to get a Bible and, and read the psalm. And I read the psalm, just like we just started reading it then. And as it hit me, it was like God turned up in this toilet in Ireland. I could take you to the exact spot that I was, where I was on my knees, just weeping and weeping and God turned up and I got a revelation of the house of God because it's all about having a love for God's house and going to church and here I was in a church every day for three months, painting walls, doing plastering, doing, tiling the toilet floors, cleaning the toilets after the services and I had this profound encounter with God where I was like, God, if all I ever do is clean the toilets in your church, that'll do me. And I meant it because I had such a revelation of, wow, God, you just met me here in this place. 
And even the sparrows found a home in the, in the house of God. Like the bird, the, he's, the, the psalmist is so desperate for God's house, he's jealous of the bird that's made a nest up there because the bird gets to stay here. And I was the bird. I was there every day. And I'm like, how good is this in God's presence? And so what I want to talk to you about tonight in this psalm, it's the first one, is the revelation of the house of God. To get a revelation of the house of God. Wherever you go, make it a priority to be in the house of God. Because a revelation of the house of God, that's my first point. The second point, I'm going to mess with this, these clocks a little bit, sorry. Uh, but I won't, I'll, I'll, I'll keep moving. The second point is it sustains us through the hard times. You need to understand the revelation of God's house isn't just, oh, God's like, now I've got you. You're my slave. It's kind of like, no, what you find is that when you got the revelation for God's house, this is your anchor. This is your true north. This is the thing that is going to get you through the darkest days of your life. This is the one constant that is going to keep you, keep you afloat so you don't sink when the big waves start coming. Because they do. You know they do. We've all lived long enough to know that there's seasons like that. You need something, and the house of God is that thing. It says, he, this is what he says in the psalm, verse 5, if, you, if we read on, it says, Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. So when you've got this revelation of God and his house, you find that your strength comes from him. It's not your strength anymore. You don't have to muster up your strength. You don't have to turn your knuckles white just trying to hold on. No, my strength is in you, Lord. My heart is set on pilgrimage. What's pilgrimage? It's just walking the whole way. It's getting to the end of the road. It's going the distance. My heart is like, Jesus, I'm going to follow you every day of my life. Every day of my life. Verse 6, as they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The valley of Baca, the word Baca literally means weeping. So when you go through times in life of pain and brokenness and crying and tears, as they pass through those, this valley, Psalm 23, the valley of the shadow of death, as you pass through, your tears become springs, a place of springs. A spring is, is life-giving. A spring is the, is the living water. It's like my tears that I cried in this season are now actually a source of life. For my future. How does this happen? Well, this is the redemption of God. He turns the things that were meant for evil and he makes it good. He turns our mourning into dancing. You get to rewrite your history. It's literally rewriting your history. These tears that were pain and suffering are now actually a source of life to me. I remember when our third daughter we were pregnant with our third daughter. We went to the scan to find out whether it was a boy or a girl. And she's the most beautiful girl. She's seven years old. And it's hard to even think that I thought like this. But on the day we had the scan, I remember saying to my wife, I'll be happy whether it's a boy or a girl. Because I thought that's, I would be. And we got the scan and it was a girl. And we went home, we had two girls already. And I didn't speak for 24 hours. I couldn't speak. And I'm like, what's wrong with me? 
like, what is wrong with me? And the next day, I was flying out to a missions trip overseas that I was leading for our church. And so I literally hopped on the plane. I felt like the guy in the Bible, you know, John the Baptist, that, who couldn't talk. I was, what is wrong with me? And so I had the whole week then to process what was going on. And in prayer, the Lord started to remind me of some things. See, my dad, um, before I was born, had a motorcycle accident. And he's in a wheelchair, paraplegic, paralyzed from, that, from there down. And on Good Friday, 1973, he had his motor- motorcycle accident. And that meant that he couldn't do a lot of things with me that a lot of my mates' dads were doing with them. And I told myself all the time that that didn't matter. My dad's awesome. And, but I would say things to myself like, well, when I have a son we'll go fishing. When I have a son, we'll take the boat out. When I have a son, I'll play cricket with him in the backyard. When I have a son, I'll do all these things. We'll go camping. When I have a son, we'll do all this stuff. It was just innocent thoughts that I had, but I didn't realise what that had laid down in my heart. And so subconsciously, until the reality dawned on me, because an important piece of context was my wife and I decided that was it, no more after this third one. This is it. And I was like, I'm happy with three girls. But something happened. And I felt so bad that I felt like that. What is wrong with me? And so on this missions trip, I go to the shops to buy a gift to take home and I see this baby, you know, what do they call them, baby suit. And it says, best day of my life. And so I bought it. And I decided to rewrite my history. And I took it to the Lord and I said, okay, the best day of my life is the day I found out that I've got three daughters. Because the pain that I felt or the brokenness, it was nothing to do with her. And I felt God bring healing to to my life. But I rewrote the history. It's the best day of my life. And I tell you, having three daughters is the best. That was my journey. I want to tell you, and it seems like nothing compared with some of the stuff that, that people go through. But when you have a revelation of God and of his house and he is your strength, I tell you, he turns everything around. He gives you strength to go through anything. The final thing I'm going to say. Point one was revelation of the house of God. Point two was sustains us through the hard times. Point three is this, so we can open the door for others. We can open the door for others to come into the house of God. Who knows that the house of God has a door? Jesus said, I'm the door. But we can literally take the hand of people who do not know Jesus we take the hand of Jesus and we connect them together. And when the house of God has that place in our heart, we can actually be that person who holds the door open so other people can come in. This is what it says in verse 10. And this was the song I heard in that toilet in a church in Galway, Ireland in 1998. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere.
I would rather be a doorkeeper. Everyone say doorkeeper. In the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. I would rather be a doorkeeper. I'd rather be the person on the door in church on a Sunday, every Sunday, than live in the richest mansion on the Sunshine Coast. That's the revelation. The opportunity. I don't even need to be here in the front row. I, don't, I could be in kids' church. Do you know what? Serving in kids' church, you are literally a doorkeeper so that people can come in. You're, you're doing something. You're holding the door open for people to come in. It does actually every team, every team that you could possibly get involved in, every team that you could serve in in church. And if you're not serving on a, some sort of team in church, I'm telling you, this is, don't think of it as a volunteer. Don't think of it as a, th- think of it as being a doorkeeper. I can actually be a doorkeeper to hold the door open so somebody else can experience the love of God like I have. I can hold the door open so somebody else can have encounters with God. I can hold the door open for others so that one day they can come up here and tell their story to the church. I would rather be a doorkeeper. I would rather be a doorkeeper. The title of this message was Doorkeepers. My prayer is that we would all be doorkeepers. Can we just close our eyes and bow our heads right now? All right, what we're going to do right now in whatever time it is that we've got left is I'm going to uh, ask you, if you have made a decision tonight, I want to be a doorkeeper, not just a volunteer, not just a servant, just a lifetime commitment to being a doorkeeper in God's house, just come down the front right now. This is a moment of consecration. And I want to, I want to pray for you. tell you, I prayed that prayer 25 years ago, and I'm praying it again tonight. Sometimes we just need to renew the promises, renew our vows to the Lord. That's a good song. You can sing that. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. Let's just sing that for a few minutes. Why don't you just lift your hands high as we sing tonight? Just one day. 